Cambridge Muslim College, training the next generation of Muslim thinkers. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. We're back among the shelves of the library at the Cambridge Muslim College. We've been benefiting from the tafsir of Imam Mu'aini as he walks us through Surah Zumar, which is the 39th Surah of the Holy Quran. In the previous episode, we looked at how this amazing Surah unfolds the manifold dimensions of Tawheed. Ad-Din al-Khalis, the pure, sincere, unadulterated religion, is that which is for Allah alone. Our direction, our meaning, our life. In other words, we orient ourselves not to the false god of the ego or imagined sources of real power other than him or to anything else which seems to have some driving power in the magnificent universe in which we live. As we contemplate the wonders of the heavens and the miracle of life and conception, we are torn between the ego's whims which want to attribute some power to our lowly selves as though we could compete with God in arranging matters in his world and, on the other hand, the voice of sanity which emerges when the spirit is at peace, which says, one, one. The surah then gives us another lesson in psychology, so let's resume our journey. Here comes ayah number eight. وَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانَ طُرٌ دَعَى رَبَّهُ مُنِيبًا إِلَيْهِ ثُمَّ إِذَا خَوَّلَهُ نِعْمَةً مِّنْهُ نَسِيَ مَا كَانَ يَدْعُوْ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ قَبْلٍ وَجَعَلَ لِلَّهِ أَنْدَادًا لِيُضِلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ قُلْ تَمَتَّعْ بِكُفْرِكَ قَلِيلًا إِنَّكَ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّارِ And when some affliction touches man, he calls out to his Lord, penitent to him. Then when he grants him a blessing, he forgets the one he was praying to before and sets up rivals to God to cause misguidance from his path. Say, enjoy your disbelief for a while. You are of the fire's people. Now this is also, sadly, part of human nature. When we're comfortable, relaxing in our air-conditioned voxels, thoughtlessly enjoying our health, chatting on our smartphones, we find that forgetfulness and ingratitude come naturally to us. That's one of the blessings of the fast, of course, the hardship and rigour and realisation that we are in fact very weak and needy creatures wakes us up. We come out of our materialist coma and look around. So the Qur'an asks us a further question. أَمَّنْ هُوَ قَانِتٌ آنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ سَاجِدًا وَقَائِمًا يَحْذَرُ الْآخِرَةَ وَيَرْجُ رَحْمَةَ رَبِّهِ هَلْ يَسْتَوِ الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ is he who is devoutly praying in the hours of night, prostrate and standing, wary of the next world and hopeful of his Lord's mercy, are those who know equal to those who do not know. Only people of inner cause make remembrance. Imam Mu'aini here provides a long and profound quote from Al-Hakim Tirmidhi, author of the renowned Nawadir al-Usul. It's difficult and dense, but very important. So let's listen carefully. Allah the Exalted has created all things to be at the disposal of Adam's descendants and created Adam for the sake of service. He placed his lights within the human creature so that through neediness service to Allah emerges from him. The human being thus needs knowledge of Allah and of his commandments in order to perform his created task. Service is devoutly, promptly, truly standing with your heart in his presence, steering your ship rightly in everything it does through love of him. The knowledge of service is the knowledge of two carpets, the carpet of power and the carpet of worship. 
You must ponder the carpet of power with a sufficient intellect which comes by knowing yourself and how you're composed of material and spiritual aspects. You must ponder the carpet of worship with a deep intuition and then you will understand his arrangement of our forms of worship and the secret purpose of his commands and prohibitions and the reasons for the halal and the haram. This passage from Al-Hakim al-Tirmidhi allows us a glimpse into the real depths of this ayah. The verse begins with a description of the humble worshipper and ends with a question, are those who know equal to those who do not? It is true worship in its full sense, in true and selfless surrender to the source of all things, that we acquire the wisdom to understand things truly. Ego will always lead, always lead us astray in our thinking about ethics, metaphysics and the meaning of the revealed law. The greatest enemies of the Holy Prophet were named the father of ignorance and the father of flame, Abu Jahl and Abu Lahab. The two are in a sense the same, since the heart is burning in uproar and stress when it's ignorant of God. Notice also how the Imam underlines the importance of knowing the reason for God's laws. We do not worship capriciously, we obey a moral deity. Fakhruddin al-Razi reminds us that when we understand God's commands and prohibitions, acts of worship and the avoidance of sins becomes easy. In our time, it seems, we need this understanding more than ever. We need to know what we're doing. The next few verses underline this with some superb evocations of the state of the person who believes, who must be entirely and unconditionally in service to the divine source. Say, Allah it is whom I worship, sincere for him my religion. In these verses also we're reminded of the next world, the perfect outcome of this. Knowledge is a peace in the heart and leads to the vision of the Almighty. Ignorance is a tumult and an agitation, an inferno. In our world, garden and fire are commingled, thus in every moment we're required to be qanit, humbly surrendered and thus oriented towards the garden. Our hearts must be themselves a garden and we water them with God's remembrance and cultivate them and pull out the weeds. So what we call the garden and the fire are simply the final separated form of the two principles which struggle for mastery in this world and in the human heart. It's important to think about it this way because nowadays people find the idea of heaven and hell difficult, even though they cannot deny that aspects of both are all around them in the world and in their hearts. The day of judgment is the Omal Fossil, the day of distinction. Naturally, there will be a place, if place is exactly the word, for each principle in eternity. Hence the Quran says, The losers are those who lose their souls and families at the day of arising. The only loss which should concern us in this world is a loss which has repercussions in the world to come. In the natural world, too, we are called upon to be gardeners, to make an oasis, just as the city of Medina was an oasis surrounded by a red and arid wilderness. And modern man, in his greed, in his imitating the sunnah of Abu Lahab, is burning the garden of God's world. Global warming is a perfect symbol of what we're doing to our souls. The symmetry is exact. Surah Zumar has quite a bit to say about the world as a garden interweaving its lyrical descriptions with its reminders about the next, truer world to which everything in this world points and hints. So verse 21 includes this question. 
ألم تر أن الله أنزل من السماء ماء فسلكوا ينابيع في الأرض ثم يخرج به زرعا مختلفا ألوانه Have you not seen that Allah sends down water from the sky and channels it to form wells in the earth, then brings forth plants of varied hues? As so often in this surah, the divine speech comes in the form of a question. And again, we're told that the right answer is found by ulul albab, people of core, of insight, of inner balanced wisdom. The order of creation and also its sublime beauty are palpably visible. One doesn't need to be a genius to see the order, even though science has enhanced our knowledge of the laws and symmetries of the material world. Consult yourself, banish the ego, we're told, and take pleasure in this world's feast. And more, and more. Use your pure mind and intuit the maker's handiwork. And more still. This garden in the world invites us to yearn for its archetype, for the lost Eden, and for the gardens to come. When we look at nature, we see far more than matter. It's not the chlorophyll, precipitation and nitrogen which our hearts discern and adore, but the mysterious fact of their existence and their sheer exuberance. How does the heart do this? What's happening when it starts to open and see? The next verse explains this as follows. أَفَمَنْ شَرَحَ اللَّهُ صَدْرَهُ لِلْإِسْلَامِ فَهُوَ عَلَى نُورٍ مِّنْ رَبِّهِ فَوَيْلٌ لِلْقَاسِيَةِ قُلُوبُهُمْ مِّنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ And is he whose breast Allah has opened to Islam, so that he is upon a light from his Lord? Woe then to those whose hearts are hardened against remembering Allah. They are in manifest misguidance. Now this is a very important ayah. Again it takes the form of a question, and again it's about knowledge and how we know. The heart, to understand the deep meaning of the outward display of the world, must be opened by God. This is his name, Al-Hadi. Then we are on a light from the Lord. Without light, the eye cannot see. This is the great theme of some of the earliest verses of Al-Baqarah. And if our hearts are hard, then we are in manifest, evident misguidance, stumbling in the darkness, unable to see or to understand. Just consider the good fortune of the believer. Given a pure heart, banishing ego, he stands before the majesty of the world, and God opens it wide, so that he experiences true knowledge. And by this knowledge of the meaning of the many, humanity knows that he is one.